0: Your Bibles aren't already open to Luke chapter 2. I ask that you'll open them there with me now. It's certainly a blessing to be here today, a uh, joy to be able to be together with brothers and sisters uh, to worship our, our Father together. Since the birth of Christ is on many people's minds during this time of year, I figured it would be an appropriate time for us to consider it together. As well, I assume most Bible students here recognize that the institution of Christmas as a religious holiday is not found within the Bible. You won't find anywhere in the pages of the New Testament in instructions for Christians to, to honor Christ in that way. Uh, in fact, it's largely an invention of the, the Catholic Church uh, with a fair carrying over of pagan Roman traditions surrounding celebration of the winter solstice. So, the the question comes to us how should we as Christians handle Christmas? Uh, And certainly, there's some room for differences in how we handle that. But from a biblical perspective, uh, should we be campaigning to keep Christ in Christmas? Well, uh, probably not. God hasn't instructed us to remember Jesus specifically in that way. But on the other hand, should we be trying to kick Jesus out of Christmas? I don't don't really want to kick Jesus out of anything. Uh, I I don't know about you, but I I would no sooner take Christ out of Christmas in that sense than I would take God out of Thanksgiving. Uh, Certainly every single day is an opportunity for us to focus on Jesus. And if this is a day that that many uh, who may not otherwise are taking time to think about Jesus, I think we should see that as, as a, a good thing or at least a good opportunity for, for us to be sharing uh, the, the message of Jesus. Uh, and so while we do not uh, observe Christmas as a religious holy day or a divinely instituted memorial, uh, and we, we will not treat it as such, I, I think any day is a good day to think about Jesus. Uh, and if if Christmas is an opportunity for us to, to be reminded of that in our society, then I, I, I would certainly not discourage people from thinking about Jesus. Uh, and so we are going to today be focusing on Jesus's birth, not because uh, that's what you're supposed to do on December 25th, but because many in our society are thinking about it. And I think... Certainly these stories of Jesus' birth are within the scriptures for a reason, for our learning. And, and for myself growing up, we, uh, because we're trying to, to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent, we, we didn't observe Christmas and, and really almost avoided talking about Jesus' birth around the time of Christmas for that reason. And I think I neglected some of the important lessons that we are intended to learn from this story because of that. Uh, and so I want to take this time to focus on that together. What can we learn from this account of Jesus' birth? we're going to focus primarily on Luke's account here in Luke chapter two. Well, one of the the greatest things that I, I, I think we'll see that stands out most starkly in the in the birth narrative of Jesus is its lowliness. Uh, Jesus didn't come with great public, fanfare, with with some royal beginning. But in an earthly sense, he started with very humble beginnings. I think we first see this in where Jesus is laid. Look here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, the verse that we just read in our reading a moment ago. In verse 7 it says, "...and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger..." because there was no room for them in the end. I I, I think we've become so accustomed to thinking about this idea, of course, well, Jesus is laid in a manger, to to maybe lose some of the significance of of how crazy this is. That Jesus here is laid in a feeding trough for farm animals. In fact, Luke points that out to us three different times in this one passage. In verse 7, in verse 12, and again in verse 16, that he is laid in a manger. Uh, this is certainly not the bed of royalty, is it? Uh, this is the last resorts of parents who just get birth in, in a barn, or even worse, maybe out in the open. Can you imagine giving birth in such a, a circumstances? I, I think for the, the fathers and mothers here, if, if you were to plan on how you wanted to, to bring your firstborn son into the world. What, what kind of plans would, would you make for that? What, what kind of situation would you want that to be? What, would you make provision to you know, ha- have your son out in a barn next to farm animals? Well, of course not. In, in, in our modern day, you know, we, we want to make sure that we have medical professionals and, and IVs and anything that you might need. And yet, that's not what we see here at all Mary is giving birth in conditions that we would only deem acceptable for domestic animals not for human beings and yet that's how our savior comes into the world and it's not that that god just you know this was his last resort he said oh it's 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 coming too early you know i guess we need to figure something out this is god's design God plans for his son to come into the world in this way. Isn't that amazing? And why is it that Mary and Joseph find themselves in this situation? In verse 7, it says, because there was no room for them in the inn. I I want you to think about that for a moment. If if you were to um, bump somebody to the top of the list of who you're going to make, make a room for, Would it not be a pregnant woman who's in labor? You know, and yet here are other people who are sleeping soundly inside and this pregnant woman is left to give birth outside. Why is that? Well, obviously Mary and Joseph weren't that well off. Here, they don't have the the money, don't have the means to secure themselves where others can secure themselves a room in this inn, they are left even to deal with the birth of their firstborn son outside. And I think this gives us a glimpse of the type of reception that Jesus is going to receive by many to come. Many will not find room for Jesus in their lives and in their hearts. In fact, you look just a few chapters later in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 in verse 57 and 58, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the earth have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus being laid in a manger was not the last time that he had no place, no fit place to lay his head. Here, Jesus throughout his ministry has no earthly home. And he is going about and simply living in in the homes of people who are willing to welcome him in. And when there's nobody who's willing to welcome him in, Jesus spends the night out in the open. He has no place to lay his head. Uh, This is descriptive not just of one night in Jesus' life, but of his entire life. And yet if there was any one night that you think you would want to have a place to lay his head, certainly it would be at his birth. And yet God's design for his son is that his earthly life is not characterized by a a king size suite and plush pillows and fine fabrics. Although he was our Lord and master, he had no master bedroom, no master bathroom, not even a master closet. Uh, That is the life that Jesus, the Son of God, chose here on this earth. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3, as we're foretold about the suffering Savior who would come, we read in verse 3, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and he did we did not esteem him. You know, sometimes people may think, well, well, others just don't understand. Um, you know, you, you, you people who, who have nice, cushy houses, you, you don't understand what it's like to go through what I've been through, the, the grief that I've been uh, acquainted with, the, the hardship of life from day to day. Well, Jesus does understand. Jesus is not detached from the common people. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer to feel grief, to feel need. That is the life that he experienced here on earth. Jesus never tasted luxurious living or or earthly honor. He lived in poverty and humiliation. And we see that illustrated to us from day one, him being laid in a feeding trough for animals. I, I, I think the word manger to us has become so familiar that it may not leave us with the picture of what we're really dealing with here. He was laid in a feeding trough for animals. But also, Jesus had no noble parentage. If you look later on in Luke chapter 2, you notice after the days of, of purification were ended, if you look in verse 22 beginning... says, and when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so here they come according to the law after the days of purification were ended uh, to bring this sacrifice to the Lord. But I want you to notice something there. It says... They offered a a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And this quotes from Leviticus chapter 12. If you'd like to turn back to Leviticus 12, I think it would be helpful to see what this passage actually says. Leviticus chapter 12 in verse 6 through 8 is where we receive these instructions according to the law of Moses um, about this offering for uh, a firstborn son. Starting in verse six, it says when the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her and she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, whether a male or female. Did you see that? It says that she was supposed to bring a lamb and a turtle dove. Why is it that they brought two turtle doves or pigeons? Well, look in verse 8 of Leviticus 12. It says, but if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. Why is it that Mary and Joseph bring two turtle doves? Well, that's, that's not... What was intended, that was a provision for those who couldn't afford a lamb. You you think about what that means as far as Mary and Joseph's socioeconomic status in in society. Uh, You you remember the story that Nathan tells David um, in 2 Samuel 12, and he talks about the man who had many sheep and the one who had just one ewe lamb. You know, that's the poor man. Well, Mary and Joseph don't even have one ewe lamb. They can't afford a lamb, uh, and to fulfill this provision of the law, they simply bring uh, these two pigeons or two tr- turtle doves. Uh, you think about you think about Solomon and David, these kings, and the type of offerings that they gave to God. You remember at the dedication of the temple when they're they're welcoming the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. They're welcoming God's presence into the temple. What kind of sacrifices were accompanied with that? Well, in 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 5, it says that Solomon made an offering of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Here, they're welcoming God into his new house, the temple, uh, as they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, and, and to commemorate that, to show how, how greatly they're honoring God, they're, they're bringing this, this ridiculously large amount of sacrifices. Brother, the Son of God comes to earth in the flesh, and does anybody offer 22,000 oxen? Does anybody offer 120,000 sheep? No, his parents offer two turtledoves, or two pigeons. I think this shows us the type of home that Jesus grew up in. Jesus was not born to royalty. Yes, it's true that Mary and Joseph were descendants from the lineage of David. But they themselves were not, by any stretch of the imagination, royalty. He didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born to a lowly carpenter. These beginnings are probably a good indication of what his childhood was like on a socioeconomic economic level as well i think we many times kind of americanize christianity in our minds but brethren we need to recognize jesus our savior didn't grow up with indoor plumbing didn't grow up with electricity or a refrigerator or any of our modern conveniences and in fact his daily life even by the standards of that time was probably very humble and meager Jesus probably knew what it was like not to have much to eat. Uh, at least the indications of, of Mary and Joseph's family w- would indicate that, that he, even by the standards of that time, may have been below the poverty line. And not only that, Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth. You know, but was that where great people came from, from, from Nazareth, something to be proud of? Well, no, you, you see in John chapter 1, verse 46, when, when Nathaniel hears that Jesus comes from Nazareth, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This was not some great uh, place that, that was seen as respectful. The, the uh, pure-blooded Jews of Judea would have looked down on people from Galilee, and, and specifically even from, from this little town of Nazareth. I think we need to think about what type of life Jesus lived. Isaiah 53, again, in verse 2, tells us, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. You know, if, if we were to go back in time, we were to be here on earth when Jesus was here in the flesh, if you were to, to walk by Jesus in the streets, you probably wouldn't recognize him. You know, our, our picture of Jesus being kind of an effeminate looking white man uh, are not what Jesus literally would have been. Jesus, there was nothing about his outward appearance that would have drawn people towards him, we're told. And so he, he, in all likelihood, would more fit the description of of somebody that we would maybe stop at the airport uh, because we're afraid they're going to take a bomb on a plane. Jesus was of Middle Eastern descent. He probably was not clean shaven. He was probably work-worn, working as a carpenter. In his physical form, there was nothing about his, his physical face or his physical body that would have impressed us. That's the description that we have of Jesus. I think it's helpful for us to recognize this, to recognize just how much Jesus gave up. Jesus didn't come in an impressive way. Jesus came to be in many ways, on a physical level, just like you and me. To experience need and suffering, and yes, even poverty. And we see Jesus receive no royal welcome, the, the passage that we just read here in Luke chapter 2 talks about the, the first on the scene uh, to welcome Jesus into this world. In Luke chapter 2, Uh, Starting in verse 8, we see the angel appears to some shepherds out in the field. And here they are the first ones to come and welcome Jesus. These are not people of great power or or wealth or authority. Yes, it's it's true. In Matthew's account, we do see the the wise men of the East or the Magi coming um, likely some some days after Jesus' birth, in fact. Not there at the scene. But here on the day that Jesus is born, his welcome is just some lowly shepherds. Have you ever thought about why that is? You know, God could have called anybody. God could have sent his angels to, to some great politician, so, some some great king, so, some people of, of great honor and power, but God goes out to some shepherds in the field and calls them to come be the witnesses of his son's birth. Here, these are just common laborers who were probably dirty and grungy, maybe even smelly, who spent all their times out in the field with sheep, who themselves were at home in a scene like this with a child being born here in a manger. Just as Jesus was meek and lowly, we see his call is going to appeal to the meek and the lowly. Um, And we really see this Throughout Luke's gospel, uh, that there, there is a, a theme of reversal. That God's call is not going to appeal to, to the strong and the mighty and the powerful, but to the lowly, to the despised. Uh, we see Jesus uh, teaching that the first are going to be last, and the last shall be first. In fact, if you want to look in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 and in verse 51 through 53, Here, this is Mary's statement of praise. Some call this the the Magnificat. It's her praise at the time of of her pregnancy. um, After she comes to Elizabeth and and John the Baptist leaps in the womb, she then says this in in 46 through 56, but I want to focus in on, on the words of 51 through 53. She, in praise of the Lord, says, "...he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts." He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. Do you see that? God has, has taken the rich and the mighty and he has brought them down and he has exalted the humble. I think we see that even in the individual that God picks to bear his son. Mary herself is simply a, a lowly virgin, nobody of, of great note, nobody uh, well-known in society. And we see this throughout Luke's gospel, That this theme of, of reversal. You, you see in Luke 16, the rich man is rejected and Lazarus is welcomed in. You see in Luke 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector praying to the Lord. And the tax collector is the one who is justified before God. You see the rich young ruler being turned away, and yet in chapter 21, the the widow with her two mites being praised for her service to the Lord. The gospel, beginning here at Jesus in uh, a manger, is not going to appeal to the great and the mighty and the powerful. Jesus in his ministry is going to reach out to tax collectors and sinners to fishermen, to shepherds. We see this concept throughout the New Testament. If you want to turn your Bibles out to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. Here Paul writes, beginning in verse 26, For consider your calling, brethren, The gospel is often not going to appeal to the, the strong and the mighty and the powerful and the wise who think they have something great to offer the kingdom. No, the gospel is going to appeal to those who recognize their need for the kingdom, who recognize their need for the good news of salvation. And so if I think that I have a lot to offer God, I'm going to be rejected. God isn't interested in what I have to offer. He's interested in me recognizing my brokenness, my humility, uh, and my willingness to receive what he has to offer. If we want to come to Jesus, we can't bring him into our ivory towers and our pristine halls of high society. We must be willing to go outside the camp to his manger bed, surrounded by shepherds and livestock. That's where the gospel begins. God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jesus came to call the poor in spirit to the riches of heaven. And so what about you? What what are you going to take away from this picture of Jesus in the manger, of, of shepherds coming, of him being born into a lowly family? God could have picked any entrance of his son into the world that he wanted to. He didn't have to be born outside or in a barn. And yet, God chose this to teach us something. What are we going to take away from it? From an earthly perspective, this is not very impressive, but brethren, that's exactly the point. When looking at the birth narrative, I think we should come away with two primary things. Number one, an appreciation of just how much Jesus sacrificed in coming to earth. He emptied himself, taking the form of a serpent. First of all, Jesus' sacrifice did not begin when the nails were driven into his hand. Jesus' sacrifice began when he left his home in heaven to take on flesh and blood, to become a man, and not just a man. He emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. Jesus came into a lowly, poverty-stricken family, suffered need and want, pain, and ultimately death, so that we could be saved. The creator of the universe made his home with the lowly. But I think also, while being impressed with what Jesus sacrificed on our behalf, I think, secondly, uh, we need to recognize that the gospel isn't geared towards the powerful, the wise, and the noble of society. That if we are are clinging to our our wealth and our power and, and, and our honor, then we're not going to be able to take hold of what God desires for us. God's grace is for the humble. We need to recognize our spiritual poverty, uh, be willing to sacrifice, um, be willing to, to be the, the poor in spirit, and humble ourselves before God that we might receive what he has to provide, the riches of eternal life. So what about you today? Do you recognize some need for a change in your life, in your perspective, in your service to the Lord? Um, If so, won't you make that change now? If it's of a public nature, you need to ask for the prayers of these brethren and and support and encouragement. That's why we're here. And if you've never committed your life to the Lord, Jesus came, took on that form of of a, a little baby who couldn't feed himself, couldn't clothe himself, couldn't take care of himself. And ultimately gave his life upon the cross, that you could be saved? Are you willing to respond to that? Uh, If you're willing to confess your belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, you can bury the old man of sin in baptism. You can start a new life. You can be raised to a new life that, by God's grace, will last all eternity. That's what we want for you. Uh, If there's anything that we can do to help you in your relationship with the Lord, we ask that you'll let it be known at this time as we sing together.